This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Chase Ralston with Rubline Marketing. This is Jeff Lindsay. This is Michael Pitt. Hey, everybody. It's John Dudley from Knock On TV. Hey, guys. This is Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. Hi, I'm Taylor Drury from Drury Outdoors. Hey, this is Nick Munt from Bow Collector. Hey, this is Melissa Buckman. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. You're listening to the Working Class Bow Hunter. That's right. This is the podcast for Billy Joe Lunchbucket, the working man, just like me and you. My name's Travis T. Bone Turner from the Bone Collector. Thank you for tuning in. Nobody pushes the envelope like working class bow hunter. It's really, really not that good. Hey there, nice to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you? Working class bow hunter podcast, that is. Not the working class bow hunter or crossbow hunter, I guess I should say there. Even though we are <laughs> apparently top ten or top five, if you will, of crossbow hunting podcasts. We take um, back what we said about crossbows. Just, no. <laughs> so, come on. Bro, we, we made a list. We made it. We made it. Some prince from <laughs> India sent me an email saying that we made the top five. So. They must shoot a lot of crossbows over there. They well, wanted me to send them a bunch of money. Like, Well, bless yeah, him. That's, That's great. Yeah, good for him. Hey, good your top him. ten, send me money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. I'll send you this award. Yeah, it was a weird email. I screenshotted it and posted it on our Instagram story. I was like, "Wow, we've made it. We've really done it." Funny shit. Uh, the podcast is presented by HHA Sports. Uh, super thankful for HHA uh, supported us. Damn, since damn near close to the beginning. Yep. Um, definitely, definitely thankful for that partnership. Drop away rest, single pin sights. Um, they really have everything for whatever skill level or however deep in the game you're trying to go. Um, but check out HHA. Use code WCB15. Uh, podcast is also brought to you by Scent Crusher, Loophole Optics, Thermoseat, Victory Archery, 
Gator Outdoors, Elite Archery, Big Time, Old Barn Taxidermy. So super thankful for all our kick-ass partners. And once again, we say it a lot. I don't know why they support us the way they do, but we're thankful for it. No and, idea why. And they see something in us that no one else did. <laughs> get emotional thinking the, about they it. They see the potential. Yeah, they're like, wow, these... I was going to say some dark shit again. I see. I have a limiter, even though it don't seem like I do. I just know like there's certain words you can't say anymore. That like, <laughs> I don't know what ago. changed though, because you usually didn't have a limiter on you. Yeah, but there's like certain words I don't even really like when people use them, and so I'm trying to do better. That rice burner was tapped. It just sounds like an old WRX is bouncing off the top there. Doug, you got a veteran shout out. I do. This was uh, sent in by J.D. Longstreet, and the veteran is Randy Longstreet. He was in the Navy. It says, my dad did two tours in Vietnam on the USS Coral Sea. He has spent his free time in life hunting and fishing. He has a general passion for the outdoors, so much so that he bought some land in northeast Michigan that was an old hunting ranch and was in the process of moving there when he had a massive heart attack. He currently is in the Mirror Heart Center fighting... To get back out in the woods after a quadruple pipe bypass. Damn. When he came to after two days of being sedated because he wasn't stable, the first thing he said to me was, are you ready to go? I said, go where? He replied, get your ass in the woods and have fun. Shoot a big one. Damn. That's awesome. That's cool. Thank you for that shout out and uh, thank you for your service, Randy. Hopefully you uh, get back on your feet and shoot a big one. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you Randy. Service. Hope you're doing good, buddy. That's That's hardcore. That is hard. Wakes up, he's like, "What are you still doing here? <laughs> what are you get doing? Your, here? Get your ass back out in the woods. Son. Go hunting. What the heck? You some sort of hussy? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks for your service, man. Appreciate that. Cool veteran shout out. Um, yeah. You can go to our website to submit veteran shout outs underneath the contact tab. They go straight to Doug, Dougie mm-hmm. Fresh, and then he reads them on air. You try to we try to keep them in order as yeah. best as we can. I think we're. I only got one left now, man. We've been He's sending them in, dream. people. Send them in. Hook we know you know someone. Um, awesome. So moving on, this podcast, I didn't have an unpopular opinion segment lined up, but we'll get it on the next one. So sorry about that. Uh, but let me give a little pre-intro before the actual intro, if that makes sense. Uh, we have our buddy Damien on. He is from Ohio. And God damn, can we talk about Ohio? It's been Jeez. on fire this year. Ohio is no longer a sleeper state. Indiana's nope. like, what about me sitting in between everybody? <laughs> what about me? But Ohio has been on fire. Um, we know some big butt killers out of Ohio. Damien being one of the top big butt killers, um, especially east in the country, east of the Mississippi. Yeah. You know, he's definitely uh, claimed that just by his resume of big bucks and, and everything that he's done in the hunting, bow hunting world in general. So Damien from Ohio, we're going to get him on. He's a member of our team working class. Uh, formerly known as Team Hang and Bang. Um, team Working Glass just seemed more simple, a little cleaner. Yeah, um, it's got a nice ring to it. Yeah, we got nice a, ring and ding. a pile of people on there. Um, we're not taking any new people yet in it. Um, it's just good where it's at. And, uh, you know, we've got to know everybody real well, and we kind of built, like, this little tight-knit community. So Absolutely. it's just a, a good crew of people that we're getting more and more involved with as availability happens and um, more opportunity and time comes up for us, which we're working for that for – 2021 um this whole covid thing's kind of getting in the fucking way though it's throwing um, a wrench in our spokes you throwing know? a goddamn wrench in our spokes but Bastard. let's get damien on uh thank you for listening we appreciate the hell out of you all right on the podcast damien riffle or rifle as i'm just gonna call him because i think it's cooler welcome man <laughs> what's going on fellas oh uh, just doing our podcast thing man thanks for joining us 
Um, yeah, no problem. I will say, you know, you are a member of Team Working Class, and I was kind of going through the list. I'm like, how the fuck have we not got Damien on this whole time? So apologies there, uh, but well, here we are. We're, yeah, get, no. we're getting it done. You're a big butt killer. Kind of give yourself a little introduction so people get to know you a little bit. Um, well, I'm from kind of East Central Ohio. Um, been bow hunting most of my life, and probably I started like getting into the trophy hunting side of it after I got out of the military in in 2000. Before that, it was kind of whack them and stack them. I was hunt. I'd be hunting six different states and I was shooting 15 to 20 deer a year with my bow and you know hunting a lot of southern states you just don't have the trophy quality and that was really before like trail cameras and then once the trail cameras kind of got more mainstream and then especially once they went to uh, SD cards and went digital like that just sparked a fire and and uh, then I got moved back to Ohio after the military obviously and and it just kind of exploded from there and Pretty much since 2003, I've shot um, a, pretty much a 140-type deer or better. I think there's um, maybe one year in there that I was below that, but um, that's kind of where it's at. And uh, my wife hunts, and she's kind of like my uh, my second buck tag in Ohio. So I, uh, after I'm tagged out, I focus on, on kind of finding her a buck and getting her out there and and uh, she's killed some whoppers herself. Very cool. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about, like, asking permission to go on trips or taxidermy bills and shit like that. Does she understand it? No, well, I, I refer to her as Ellie Mae Clampett. She's kind of a redneck pretty girl, and uh, she uh, loves her animals. Like, So she, she doesn't give me any cr- crap for uh, any of my hunting trips, and I keep her with... Uh, goats and chickens and whatever she wants on that side of the face <laughs> you know if i gotta build a fence and uh i can go on an elk hunting trip then uh so be it yeah, worth everybody's it, happy nice uh, that works. Right. do that in a heartbeat good way to keep it in balance yeah. good way um well first of all too thank you for your service yeah yeah no problem yeah thank, thank you. you guys for yeah so pretty cool it's good to finally have you here you've had a hell of a 2020 season i guess the first place we'll start with your season is uh, your mule deer trip. Yeah. Um, so so uh, I guess what yeah, I was going to say before that, I mean, are you a big turkey hunter? Just going back, like, full circle for the year. Uh, honestly, I turkey hunt, but it's like turkeys just kind of fill the void. It's nice <laughs> to be out in the spring. Yeah. It's cool to be out there. But honestly, things that don't have antlers don't get my don't get my rocks off. Right. Like okay. I, I need a, I need antlers. So, you know? so you're on Team turkeys, Eric. Fuck turkeys. Yep. Yeah, kind of. And and I mean, <laughs> like I said, they're they're cool to get out there and do it. And I've killed a pile, but like if I don't know, they all look the same. They all sound the same. I think they're highly overrated, and people think they're way smarter than they are. I just think they're extremely stupid. <laughs> that, that's where that's where people think they're smart. They're so stupid. They do things that like they walk up to a tree and they don't know how to go around it or over it and they turn around and walk away you know they do they're God so, forbid they run into a fence I, or, or a fence or you know whatever they're just uh, really dumb birds in my opinion but it's, it's probably uh, fair to say it, that turkeys now if you don't just really enjoy turkey hunting it's a good way for tv shows to fill episodes oh absolutely yeah that too and you know honestly like 20 years ago when i got out of the military that was like the the flock in ohio is like heyday and i and back then 
I had a lot more ground that I could hunt and you could go out, you could get up at three o'clock in the morning. You could go out and get on a bird you roosted the night before. If you screwed that one up, you could just top over the ridge and get another one. Now the, the flock isn't nearly what it used to be. And you get up at three o'clock in the morning, you drive an hour to your farm and you don't hear a turkey gobble within a mile of you. And you're like, what the fuck did I just get up at three o'clock in the morning for? <laughs> okay. I, ain't get, I can tell you right now, I ain't get up at three o'clock for no damn turkey. <laughs> hey, that's fair. Okay. Now we know how uh, you're on team Eric, buck turkeys. Yep. And I get that. So let's talk about this mule deer hunt, man. Like, where'd you go? How'd you plan it? All the goods. Well, it, uh, you know, with uh, the working class team, Clay uh, Thurman and I, we kind of, I don't know how we ended up talking. But You're the we old dudes. BSing. And, uh, <laughs> he missed it. He, uh, <laughs> He's like, I'm just moved right past that one. I don't know if you heard me or not. I missed it. I said, You're the old dudes. The old dudes. Yeah, that could be it. <laughs> the old dudes. And uh, so we had the old guys uh, kind of pulling together and uh, talking about our Geritol and things. And uh, he, uh, you know, we, we talked several times on the phone and obviously our personalities were both sarcastic assholes and, um, it was a lot of fun. And then we met up at the, the shoot this summer and, uh, we actually shot the, uh, the shoot together and in that process, you know, just became closer. And then, you know, we were talking about hunting trips and things and obviously he kills some whopper mule deer every year. And, um, I said, well, you know, mule deer's never really been on my list, but it's kind of starting to get on my list now. I'm kind of narrowing things down, and uh, and he was talking about bears, and I have family in West Virginia, and I have great success in West Virginia bear hunting, and it's basically there's always like a week in October that the bears really start showing up, and my cousins will be like, hey, we're seeing bears every time we go out come down and shoot one and i go down there and i'm down there a couple days and i shoot a pretty nice bear every every time i've been down there oh, cool and uh so i told clay well. you know that you know he could come out bear with me and he had been burnt on some hunts before and i said and then next year if you get a bear and you're happy and everything you, you know maybe invite me out mule deer hunting and that was the plan and then you know mule deer season was getting closer and he called me up and he's like you know what this is stupid i was trying to think of who i'm gonna take the hunt camp this year and he's like you know, you're, you, we get along great and, you know, why don't you come with me? And this is like two weeks before season. And I was like, well, okay. So kind of spur of the moment. And, uh, so I drove out to Nebraska and, uh, met him at his house there and met his family and, uh, beautiful little girls that he has there. And, uh, he showed me some of the awesome muleys he's killed. And we kind of discussed like what my, like, game plan was or what what my expectations were and you know i said honestly if i come out here and shoot like a 160 type mule deer i'd be ecstatic like like i wouldn't couldn't ask for anything more than that like right. that's realistic great and... representation I, f I feel like a 160 muley is just a great like specimen it's not enormous but it's a great specimen of that species looks you know like a I mean? muley it's a representation it's, of the species yeah yeah it's textbook and, uh, muley when you open a book you want to look up a mule deer that's probably what you'd see yeah yeah right and anything smaller than that i really wouldn't he's like well you say that you're gonna see the first two-year-old and want to shoot it you know i said well the killer in me might come out but more than likely uh, i'm i'm gonna hold out for something a little bit nicer mm -hmm. and uh you know the game was he has private uh acreage out there and, you know, the game plan is anything he passes, I can shoot. Once he tags out, I help him find a buck. And once he tags out, anything 
you know, we come across after that, you know, is fair game as well, which I thought was perfectly fair. You know, it's his, his property, his hunt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we, uh, we headed out and we set up camp and, you know, the, uh, the first place we set up camp looked amazing. Like you couldn't ask for like better, just terrain, just ravines and coolies and, and just was amazing. He had never hunted it before. It was another 1500 acres he had gained permission on. And, uh, oddly there was no deer there, <laughs> but I think it <laughs> yeah, was because perfect. There, there was so much crops that all the deer were in the cropland and they just weren't pushed into those ravines and the, and the, uh, the, the, um, um, uh, kind of the, I guess I won't say woods because it's not really woods out there, but, yeah, yeah. um, kind of the bottoms and stuff. So what, then we talked to the landowner and he's like, yeah, it usually doesn't, we don't start seeing deer till the crops are off. So that, it made all, all made sense. But so the, uh, the first, the day before season, um, I stayed on that farm to kind of spot and stock or, uh, uh, scout. And he drove over to his old farm and scouted over there and self service was really shoddy out there. So it was kind of hit and miss if we could text one another or whatever. And, comes back to camp and he's like man i saw a really big body deer and he had like this half-ass photo where you could just see a big body and some antler on top of his head but you couldn't tell much about him um and uh he's like uh he's just not he goes i don't i don't want to shoot him he's like he's not what i kind of am wanting for opening day you know so um i said well if you don't want him i probably don't want him is it's kind of where i told him i I was at (laughs) with it yeah so and, uh, you know, from what you could tell from the photo, he didn't look like anything great or he didn't look like a, a classic mule deer from what I could tell. And uh, so the next morning we went out, we spotted a few small ones, didn't see a whole lot, came back from lunch. And he's like, I'm telling you, man, that was a big mature deer. You should go over there and, and try to kill that deer. And then I started thinking, I was like, you know what? And I, and I may mention, I was like, well, what happened if a 160 steps out in front of me? He's like, well, you better shoot it. But if a 200 comes out, you better come find me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I was like, well, Ask for I guess, forgiveness, not permission. I, yep. <laughs> exactly. Right. But I thought, Whoops. you know, I'd rather be hunting the big body. than just scouting for somebody, you know. So I was like, all right, I'll go over there. So kind of went in, kind of half-assed, did a setup and was on a fence line. And that buck had come out of this, this cornfield. And, uh, I sat there and didn't see anything. And then right at last light at like 250 yards. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have seen them, but there was a little bit of a rise to the hill and they were at the crest and they were skylined. I saw two small bucks and then the third buck stepped out and I was like, holy shit. Like I just like from 200, 250 yards, whatever it was, like you just saw mass and G2s. And I'm like, that. Yeah, I'll shoot that for we sure. We call that a no-brainer. I, yeah, hundred percent no-brainer. Like, and I, I'm thinking, okay, surely this isn't the same buck that Clay said said he wouldn't shoot, but it was in the exact same spot. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to go back and make this buck seem like he's bigger than he is <laughs> and get get cut, you know? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we went back to camp, and I was like, oh, he's nice. I saw him. So next morning we went out, um, tried to find a, a, a buck for Clay. Saw a couple decent bucks, but nothing we wanted to go after. And I uh, went back for lunch, and I said, well, I want to go in there, kind of make a ground blind, because I felt like I was exposed where I was at, and uh, I, I want to kind of 
take a cedar over there and kind of give myself a little more break up where I was at. And uh, I went over there, got it set up, and then I, while I was there, I had cell service, and I pulled up the weather, and the wind was shifting the opposite direction and was going to blow straight down the corn edge for that evening. I'm like, son of a bitch, you know? So I, I went in there for nothing. So I had the four-wheeler, and I went down the the, uh, the corn edge all the way down the farm road, and I turned and was coming back, and those deer were coming out of the corn, jumping a fence, crossing the farm road, and going into a pasture. And there was a big, steep, like, straight-wall ravine that kind of cut through that uh, uh, hayfield, not a pasture. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was driving by that on the four-wheeler, one of the small bucks that was with that big buck went shooting down the, sm- the straight-wall canyon. And I was like, damn, I wonder if they're bedded on that side of the road today. But I I just kept, you know, motoring by, and hopefully they wouldn't uh, wouldn't spook out of there. And I went back and told Clay the situation, and the wind was wrong. And I said I could drive by, and there were some planters parked out at the far end of the cornfield. I said, but I don't want to drive that four-wheeler by there again. So Clay was like, well, he came up with the idea that I would take it around that section, come in the backside through the cattle pasture, come up the last kind of ravine, and then walk that corn edge. And I, I was just going to set up in the corn edge mm-hmm. and uh, and at the, the kind of the crest of the hill. And, you know, trying to play that that spot and stock side of it. And, uh, well, I get in there, and that's what I did. And I'm walking down the corn edge, and every time one of them, like, canyon uh, kind of fed up into the cornfield, the, the corn, the crop deprivation, the corn went from eight feet high and was just <laughs> bowled out, right? Yeah, like, And yeah. you'd have this massive trail coming through there, jumping the fence, going into the, the hay field. And I was like, holy shit, that's a hell of a crossing. You go down to the next one 100 yards away or 50 yards away, same thing. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to pick which one he's going to come up, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I thought if I sat at the crest of the hill, I could see there would be six that I could hunt, and I'd only be cutting two off. Whereas if I sat all the way at the edge of the field, I could only watch those two. So I had to get to the crest of the hill. So I decided that's what I was going to do. And it's 95 degrees. The sun was banging that day. It was just scorching hot. And I go to the crest of the hill, and I'm kind of looking where I want to get set up there in the the first row of corn. And I look up, and that big son of a bitch was 250 yards walking straight down the ranch road straight towards me at, like, 530 in the evening or whatever it was. No shit. And I'm I'm just kind of dumbfounded. I was like, holy shit, for real? So he wanted, I think what he was trying to do, he was bedded in the, in the, uh, that canyon with that other buck, I think, and that heat had him wanting to go to water, and the water was on the opposite side of the corn. Uh-huh. So he was trying to get the water, but the way that ranch road is, there was a big swale, like a big four foot ditch, and it was, and he dropped down in that, and all I could see was his rack. And when all I could see was his rack, I started closing the distance. I stepped in the first row of corn, I started closing the distance. And uh, he uh, he would get to each fence crossing, and because of the way that ditch was, he couldn't jump over the fence, and his rack was too big, he couldn't squirt under the fence. And he would get to every crossing and like size it up. He'd go up and he'd look over <laughs> it, damn it, and he'd look under it. And then he'd be like, nope, can't do it here. And he'd, he, and he'd keep working his way to me. And I kept working my way to him. And, uh, finally he got to like 
90 yards and he was at that one and i was like okay if he if he doesn't cross there the next one he's in range you know yeah yeah so i kind of i kind of got my shit together there and he uh he started uh he he left that one and then he came to the next one and i i could just tell like he went up and touched his chest on the on the on the fence and he was looking over it and then he kind of backed up and looked under it and then he went back up and touched his chest. And I could just tell by his body posture he was going to jump the fence there. And uh, so I got ready, and, and uh, he, he kind of squatted down to load his back legs. And when he, he did that, I, I drew back on him. And he jumped the fence, and he hooked his back leg on the fence. And he started <laughs> yanking on his back leg. And it sounded like banjo just zinging down that, that strand, you know, coming <laughs> by me. And while he, <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, while he was doing that, I, I had that Garmin sight. I ranged him, and he was 67 yards, and he yanked his foot loose, and he took like three steps over to the corn, and he had his head in the corn, and I freaking let, put the pressure to it, and the shot broke, and uh, I heard it smack him, and he mule kicked and, and went into the corn. And uh, I, awesome. I kind of had a little bit of a meltdown there. And <laughs> awesome. How much time excited. went by from when you saw him on the road until you got your shot off? Like, you know, you're closing distance. He's coming at you, checking fences. Like, how much time from there to the shot went by, do you think? Uh, I'm going to say two minutes. Oh, shit. Quick. Oh, damn. It was pretty quick. Like, it, when I saw him, and he was just at a steady pace, just a steady walk. And then he would, like, and a couple of those fence crossings, he would just, like, glance over him at him and stop. But he went to, he physically walked up the three of them mm-hmm. and kind of sized them up. And the third one was the one that he crossed. So it was, it, I'm going to say, two to three minutes tops. No kidding. And uh, I'm thinking so when you're happened, telling this story, like a half an hour. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. You know, But you, but oh, you, yeah. were, hus- it, you were hustling, was- Damien. I mean, you were moving up on him pretty quick, so... Well, yeah, but, like he was he was far enough away that like I was I was trying to cover distance, you know, and right. I had just stepped in that first row of corn and I could just see him and it, it, he was walking, he was preoccupied and I was I was covering ground, you know. And I was, you you I had that wind covered. in your Did you have that wind in your face the whole time or? Oh yeah. Yep, 100%. Yep. Oh, you're dialed in. See, that's cool. That right there that everything you're kind of explaining that it's somebody with some bow hunting experience to know when to make more aggressive moves like that rather oh, yeah. than sit and just yep. be more passive. Just hope he comes your way. Yeah, to just sit there and hope. Well, you know, you're well, on a trip just, like that, you're I limited. Felt that there was, I felt that there was too many crossings between him and I that if I just sat where I was at, he was going to find one to cross, you know. So I yeah. knew I had to kind of cut a, cut some of the distance. And I, I probably, I don't know, realistically I might have cut 60 or 70 yards, but um, it felt like it was probably 100 yards. But oh, I, I, I would <laughs> And you, you go into that thinking that you're a ninja, and then you feel like a rodeo clown as you're running through yeah. those stocks. Like, yeah. oh, shit, right. I'm going to screw this <laughs> up so bad. Well, people don't realize, too, is you know, walking stealthy and being conscious about how much noise you're making and looking and paying attention to wind, like walking like a ninja like that, that's exhausting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that takes a lot in, out of you. in, like, corn stalks, like you guys know. And once that shit's yellowed and you're walking through it and it sounds like you're you know, every everything's brushing against you. It sounds like yeah. it's crazy loud. You know. Oh, me and Eric in South Dakota, we stocked an antelope. There were standing corn there just off the standing cornfield. Yeah, but South Dakota corn ain't nothing like Iowa, no, Illinois. No, corn. no, it's no, about, it about four foot corn, maybe four, Looks four and a half feet more tall. More like Milo. <laughs> yeah, right, it right. Was, you know, it honestly was. You know, and 
But, you know, we we live that life a little bit. We're ducking through the shittiest corn of all time. Yep. So, but, yeah, that's awesome, man. So, shot breaks off. He dips off into the corn. Now what? Well, he just – once he, he mule kicked and broke into the corn, and I just – I heard corn breaking for just a couple seconds, and then it went silent. So, I stood there for a second. I was like, well, I got to call Clay. So, I called Clay, and uh, I told him. He's like, well, how big do you think he is? I go, I don't know. I think he's like a 160. He's like, oh, that's fucking awesome. You know, you got all excited for me. And uh, – so he drove over and he stopped um, probably about where I saw the, the deer coming to begin with. And, and uh, so he was probably 150 yards from me. And he stepped over the fence and started working his way to me. And we're, we're talking on the phone. And I'm ranging him with my rangefinder. And he gets to like 75 yards. And I said, my arrow, if it blew through him. It should be right there, and he took like four more steps and found my arrow laying there. No shit, that's kind of cool. Uh, Zing right it, through him, it, huh? Yeah, it it passed right through him and hit the ground and just did an end over end and was actually pointing back towards me um, <laughs> when he found it. And he said, "Well, he said, uh, looks like we got a little bit of stomach matter." And I was like, "Oh," because when the shot broke, the the sun was bright and it looked like my arrow was drifting a little bit back. But it, I, I felt like it was it was still in the in the ribs. Yeah, yeah. And so when he said there was stomach matter on it, I, I was like, oh, shit. So wasn't crazy about that. But I was shooting a, a big two inch severs, and uh, I'm like, okay, well he's still gonna die because you know he Lethal. just ain't gonna live through that. Yeah, right. And uh, so he uh, he comes up and he takes like three more steps and he's like, but there's a lot of blood. And then he took like another step and he looked into the corner. And he goes. I mean, a lot of blood. And uh, while well, well, I uh, I forgot to mention, after I initially called him, I hung up the phone. And just after I hung up the phone, I heard corn crash. And I'm like, that sounded like a deer fall. And uh, so we went, went now when I walked up to there where, the, where he ran into the corn, you could it looked like somebody had two paintbrushes and just ran through the corn. And, you know, the blood was just everywhere on the corn. And, and he goes, well. He goes, this is your hunt. He's like, but there's stomach matter on the arrow. He's like, but there's a lot of blood. And typically, I feel like I probably would have backed out just because of the stomach matter on the arrow. Right. Um, but I felt like I heard the deer fall. Like, the noise that I heard was just a quick crash, and it just sounded like it was a loud crash, and then nothing. And... Uh, but just so just for, I, for just for all the listeners here, sorry to interrupt you. Can you yeah, ex- no, no, no. can you explain when you looked at that arrow yourself? I mean, stomach matter. Like, what are you looking at there? So it, there wasn't a lot. It was definitely covered in blood, yep. um, but there was a little bit of like uh, grass fiber looking stomach matter, you know, on the arrow. A little bit of yellowish to it. Okay. Um, but I couldn't tell. It, it wasn't excessive, so I didn't know if maybe just the you know one of the blades clipped it and the arrow passed through, or you know I didn't feel like it was a straight gut shot, especially with the amount of blood that was there. Um, right. I, so at this point, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I got, um, you know, I, I was trying to relive it, think back, was he quartering to me at all? You know, what that was gonna be my I question: like was he was he completely broadside or was he quartering to just a little bit? Right. So I started questioning that and trying to relive it in my mind. And, uh, you know, I, I just wasn't sure. And I, I told him, I was like, you know, if I didn't hear that crash, I would say, let's let's give him some time. 
Um, but let's just kind of ease in here at least, you know, and, and again, where he ran into the corn was the crop deprivation. So that corn was literally waist to, to shoulder high at best. Yeah. And, you know, I felt like if we went in there, you know, 15, 20 rows, you know, we, we'd see what happened or where, the, where the blood led to. And, and, uh, so we started into the corn and, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of easing through there and look at following blood, following blood. And I kept looking down the rows to my left because when I heard the crash, it sounded like the buck was between where I was standing and where I was shot him from. It sounded like he was in between there, you know? Yeah. So he's kind of um, running So I keep, you. like, easing up on the blood, looking down the corn rows to my left. And uh, we get in the corn probably 20 yards and, and clay says i smell him and i'm thinking you know oh sure you do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm like, you smell him yeah all right but, clay uh, don't be an asshole <laughs> <laughs> so at that point i didn't really think anything of it and he had looked to the right and saw the buck laying there and he backed up and started recording me and he's like keep following the blood man keep following the blood and i'm still like easing forward looking You're like to the what the left, fuck you doing recording <laughs> <laughs> the goddamn deer's like five yards to my right, laying right beside me, and I'm looking to the left. And uh, finally, I kind of I, I lost blood, you know, where he was at. And I'm looking around, looking around, and I glance to the right, and I just see a big gray ass laying there. Ah, oh, cool, and, man. Uh, so <laughs> he, he didn't ass. run 25 yards, and and he stood there for a minute and a half from the time I shot him to the time I heard him crash. And uh, he, he was dead right there. So that's, Man, awesome. that's, that's awesome. so awesome. Kick ass, dude! Congrats. That that's a good story. That's that's what you hope for. Yeah, especially yeah, when it, you think his shot was it, back, you start to panic. Yeah, and it you know I couldn't have asked for a better first mule deer. I mean, he had seventeen inch G twos, um, yeah. seven and a half inch bases. I mean, the clay clay saw the side he saw that he decided he didn't want to shoot. He his fork was weak, and his front was okay but wasn't anything great um so he was like that's eh, not really what i'm looking for and then after i killed him he was like yeah if i would have realized he was that i i probably would have killed him. So, <laughs> so you got the pass was, though yeah so he i got the he got the pass and so you're invited he back was, uh, <laughs> 20 25 inches wide you know 17 inch twos uh, seven and a half inch bases, full velvet just i couldn't have asked for a, a better first muley i was Kick ass, and, awesome. and to to meet my expectations, he scored one sixty and an eight. No shit, that's <laughs> awesome. That's, yeah. Hell yeah, that that's a calculated badass. man right there. Super calculated. That's got to make you feel good too, being a, a Midwest guy and going out on your first kind of spot and stock style hunt and having success like that right out of the gate. That's pretty right. sweet. Sure. Yeah, hundred percent. So, what kind of mount yeah. are we doing? Um, I I don't really know. I kind of left it. My taxidermist is pretty amazing. Um, and I, I kind of left it up to him to kind of come up with something. Cause you know, I have a pile of whitetail mounts and, uh, I, I want, I just don't want it to just be another mount that doesn't really pop, you know? So I want, mm -hmm. I want some wow factor to it. You know, the fact that he's in full velvet. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Full velvet. You know, so it, that's uh, it. I'm not, I'm not sure what he'll do. So I told him, I gave him kind of, uh, open range to uh do whatever he he came up up with well, that's awesome it's definitely gonna pop especially for that full velvet and everyone you know you can tell a difference between a 
Yeah. Even if someone sees a room full of whitetails and then one mule deer, I yeah, think they'll yeah. be able to tell oh, the yeah, yeah, even if they don't he know what a mule deer is. He had a beautiful cape, too, double throat patch. Oh, just oh, awesome. oh sweet. Pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty Fucking awesome man. deer. Lucky fucker. Um, <laughs> 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 that's cool, man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that'll be cool, though, to get some variety in there against all the giant whitetails that you have. But, um, you know, will this, will this be a buck that makes the main room? Like, is he going to be a living room buck? Um, probably. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I was thinking about that. Like my, my loft area upstairs, I kind of have that as, um, I don't want to say exotics, but it, they're my, um, like my, my, my full body mount bears up there. My bear rugs up there. My elk, uh, Euro mount is up. Both my elk Euro mounts are up there. Um, so I kind of thought about turning that into like my, my Western, uh, room if you will but yeah, yeah. i don't know I'll, I'll probably stick him down in the main room at least for a year or so so i can just kind of sit on a couch and stare at him you That's know right. soak them all That's in right. soak them all in damien yeah. how many mounts do you have in your house um <laughs> do you know off the top of your head not really i'm not gonna really. say if you don't know it's enough 20, <laughs> it's 20 20 whitetails um, maybe 22. I don't know. I, I've given a couple of the smaller ones away. I gave them to my barber shop. Um, that, <laughs> That's when you know uh, you got nice. a pile of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> they just were, you know, I don't want to, um, they just didn't fit anymore. You know what I mean? They were yeah. some of my earlier mounts and, um, they just didn't, uh, they didn't make the cut. I and yeah, I free haircuts for life. Wasn't going to just put him in the basement or something like that, you know, yeah. no, in the barbershop. You know, I mentioned it to him, and he's like, yeah, I'll hang him in here. So he, he, they're hanging in the barbershop. That's cool. That is cool. Well, hell yeah, man. Congrats on the muley. Good way to kick off the, the 2020 antler season, if you will. Dude, yeah. Best way. Um, let's talk about yeah. whitetails a little bit because that's your bread and butter. I, that would be more what you're known for because, I mean, if you got 22 studs in your house and you're – Giving mounts away to barber shops, I'd say uh, <laughs> you're doing pretty well. You're doing pretty well for yourself, <laughs> Damien. I want to hear doing about this. Right. I want to hear about Kickers, man. He's got some. He's a he's a good looking buck. Yeah, he uh, he was a su- surprise to me. So the last few years, you know, I used to g- get a lot of shit because I had a, a lease for about twelve years, and a lot of my deer came off of that lease, and everyone's like, "Oh, you just got good ground," you know, the typical must be nice type bullshit you know yep, yep and you know i couldn't i couldn't deny it i at for it was good ground i but worked idiots don't kill big deer that. no matter what your ground is right and and you know that farm sold three years ago spur of the moment i had it prepped for season august 1st the old guy that owned it had a, a heart uh um pacemaker put in and he saw the writing on the wall, I think, and it, the way the trust was wrote up between him and his sister is whoever died first, the other one got sole ownership, the grandkids got nothing. So Damn. if they sold it, the sister wanted to sell it for a long time. The brother, he was emotionally attached to it, so he hung on to it. And uh, he he finally agreed to sell it, and they they told me August 1st that they were going to sell it. I tried to buy the sister out. Um, at that time, because I had just paid my business off and I didn't, wasn't able, you know, it was just bad timing. And, uh, the, their one son was kind of a, well, he's a huge punk and always in trouble with the law. And, you know, he would always ask to hunt and I led him a couple times and I would get, tell him where to hunt and I would tell him not to walk around. And the next thing you know, he's on six of my trail cameras at prime time walking around, you know. 
and uh, I just stopped letting him hunt. So, <laughs> so he didn't like me a whole lot, needless yeah. to say. Well. And uh, he didn't want me buying it, so he told the neighbor that they were going to sell it, and the neighbor cut a check for $700,000, and uh, I was out. So, Whoa, damn. Right. Can't you know, you can't compete with that. No. And, uh, so <laughs> then I just started casting lines, you know, trying to – this was – I had to have all my stuff off August 30th, and season opened the 28th of September. So, you know, I had basically a month to find property to hunt. I had, and I told my friends for several years, I got, I'm like, man, I got all my eggs in one basket. And one of these years, it's going to bite me in the ass. And uh, that was the year it kind of bit me in the ass. So I, I just started scrambling, trying to find ground. And uh, I got permission on a, a piece of ground, had to learn it. And, uh, you know, ended up shooting a pretty solid whitetail that year, you know, seven and a half year old buck. Um on uh, November 11th, I've always been, I would say 85 to 90% of my deer are mid October bucks. And, uh, in, uh, for many years. And so learning that new farm, there's a little bit of a learning curve and I had to, took me a little longer to figure out the property. Didn't kill that deer till November 11th. And, uh, then that property sold this year. And well, son of a bitch, and, man. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was like, geez, it's it was like the horrible luck. So then I started scrambling again, trying to find property, and uh, then I got permission on this. And these are, you know, not huge tracts of land. You know, where we're hunting now in Ohio, it's becoming the quickly becoming the honey, the twenty acre, you know, hunting camp where yep. these big old farms are getting auctioned off into these smaller parcels and every 20 acres has a honey, a, a little cabin shanty on it. And there are two guys hunting it. And, you know, it's getting harder and harder to find good spots. And, uh, so I got permission on, uh, this 58 acres and, uh, I started putting cameras out. I wasn't overly excited about what I was getting. I was getting some really mature deer, but none of them broke 140. And, you know, I just, I wasn't really ecstatic about it and, you know, I wasn't having a good feeling about it. And then about two weeks before season showed up, I got some really shitty pictures of this buck that I ended up killing and I called him stickers. Uh, the landowner had a photo of him the year before they called him ugly because (laughs) his right side was, uh, really kind of abnormal i don't know if it's from in, injury or what but his brow tine was basically like a a four point antler and then his main beam like did a hard 90 grew down and then grew straight back up um it was kind of ugly and that's why they called him ugly um and he appeared to be like a four-year-old at that time and i said well if that buck survived he should be a pretty solid deer yeah. and the, the landowner it, you know his kids grew up and he he just kind of has lost interest in hunting and doesn't feed or doesn't run cameras or anything. Um, so that buck showed up and I instantly was like, that's ugly. And he had cleaned his act up because, you know, he had a straight <laughs> mopped up his genetic <laughs> total makeover. Went to rehab. Right, yeah. <laughs> Went to rehab. Antler rehab. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he, uh, he, he looked good and he had a lot of character, but I still like, I just didn't feel like he was that good of a scoring deer. And uh, I thought maybe he'd go mid-40s from those first photos. And I'm like, well, 
I got nothing else going on right now. And I didn't really get overly excited to him. All of his photos were in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, so I didn't, I wasn't real sure. So most of my deer that I've killed, I know, don't tell Mark Drury this, but most of my deer that I've killed and the moon phase that I always look forward to is the October new moon. And I have like this seven day window that if I'm on a deer and that I'm wanting to kill early season, he, they always make a daylight appearance sometime in that seven day window in the evening. Mm -hmm. And almost most of my deer I've killed in that window. And, uh, it breaks my heart to say that Mark Drury doesn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) So how, how did you discover uh, that phase? I mean, just from years of paying attention to the lunar calendar and just kind of figuring that out on your own, or did somebody kind of point you in that direction? No, I stumbled on it and I don't, it started in 2003 and I killed a buck and, uh, he, it was on the, the October new moon and, you know, I didn't say that I, I noticed that, but I made, you know, mental note on it. And then the next year I started hunting a buck and I was on him and he was straight nocturnal and he started getting closer to closer daylight movement like going into that new moon and then the day or two days before the new moon, he made a daylight appearance on a food plot. The next day I went in and I killed him an hour before dark on that food plot. And I was like, huh, same, same moon phase as last year. The next year, same exact situation had a buck show up in that. And I killed him the day after the new moon. And then it just kept happening year after year after year. Interesting. And I, I kind of, I kind of contributed to knowing the property, knowing where the bucks bed. That property was a special piece of property, and like it was reclaimed strip mine. And I knew where the bucks would bed, and I knew where they would feed. And I put all my food plots on the on the ridge tops because that was the best place that I could plant. Those are cool and properties bucks, to hunt. I grew up hunting a property like that in an old those, coal stripping area. Oh, it's awesome. Great funnels and transition areas. Short and, spoils and it, shit like that. Just Right. Yep. It's awesome. I love it. And these bucks would bed, and then it was really nice because I would hunt these food plots, and the deer would start coming out really early. They would feed for 10, 15 minutes and then drop off the ridges to go to the big ag fields. So these big fields, some of them fields were five acres that are planting food plots in. You know, that's not huge, but for, for around where I was at, that's that's pretty good-sized food plot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't hang out long. They would come out, they would feed, they would socialize, they would drop off into the bottoms to go to the main ag fields for the evening and after dark, which made it great because usually once dark hit, the deer were gone, so it made easy easy ac- yep. um, yeah, exit yeah. strategy for my for my plots. And then in the late season, it flipped. All the ag down low was gone. My plots were still great because they didn't spend a lot of time in there eating. Now those those uh, transition and those kill plots became main food, you know, uh, main feed uh, food lot or plots. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Talk so about a killer setup, man. That's really awesome. Good. And I, I had that farm just manicured in every year. Like I just would kill them, the deer, you know, in that, that moon phase. And even my biggest buck, my, uh, my 180, he, uh, 
that buck was straight nocturnal and the two days two days before i killed him we had this was an 18 and i don't know if you guys had it but like right in the middle of october we had like a 90 degree heat snap Mm -hmm. and uh, we had it for two days and it was the day before the new moon and the new moon and i didn't hunt i kicked myself in the ass and i you know i run wireless trail cameras and i had photos of that buck for the first time in daylight in that in the the, in the moon phase but i didn't hunt because i'm like it's 93 degrees he's not gonna move today (laughs) i I don't blame you really but he did it anyway he was there (laughs) yeah and uh and then the weather snapped so that that moon phase just you know sticks with me and then going into this year that buck was straight nocturnal and that that 50 acre uh 58 acre farm he let me plant a food plot and uh that buck was showing up on that food plot and boom, the day of the new moon, I get a photo of him right at probably last shooting light for the first time ever, you know, and anywhere near shooting light, but the wind was wrong. I didn't hunt though. I couldn't have hunted him anyway. We had straight South winds and with the South wind, yeah, I couldn't hunt that plot. Yep. And, uh, so that made me feel a little better about him and I continued watching him. And he would do like these cycles. He would do, I'd get photos of him three days in a row and then he was gone for three days and I get him three days and he was gone three days. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so then Halloween comes and that farm is really difficult to hunt mornings and I don't hunt mornings early season. Anyway, typically my rule of thumb is I don't hunt before October 27th. I won't hunt mornings. So, but Halloween, I would have typically been hunting a morning, but I didn't because that property, the first whole section of that property, including my food plot, the moment you pull off the, the road, every any and every deer in those fields is on to you because you're you're just totally exposed, you know. And the whole front of the property is, is basically a field. Um so I didn't hunt the morning. At just after daylight, Halloween morning, I get a photo of him about a uh, hundred yards off the field, leaving the field, going through a saddle. And I was like, son of a bitch, you know, <laughs> he did it. Again. And, yeah. Did it. Got me again. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go in there. Well, the next day was that Sunday. We had 60 mile an hour winds and that saddle gets full brunt force across this huge, big Valley of all the wind. And I'm like, there is no way they're going to be on the backside of that ridge in this wind. 9.30 in the morning, there he goes through the saddle. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, damn it. <laughs> he, likes, he likes the so, heat and he likes the wind. Yeah. And so I went up and, and got him that tree stand that evening. And I sat for about 35 minutes and trees were crashing down in the valley. And like the, the I'm in an oak that's probably you know, 15 feet around and it, it's not moving that bad, but everything around me is like laying down sideways with these gusts of wind. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is not a good yeah, at that point. At that point, you're like, how fucking stupid am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I got down and, and went on the backside of the ridge, tried to get down out of the wind a little bit and, um, wasn't where I wanted to be and saw a few deer, but nothing that I, uh, it wasn't him. So the, uh, that was on uh, November 1st. November 2nd, 
now the the whole three day cycles in my mind. I'm like, okay, I got this is the last day. If he's around before he takes another three day hiatus, and uh, I decided we still had like 16 mile an hour winds that day, and I, f- I figured, okay, the deer are going to be wanting to get out of that wind, and this property has this point off of the the ridge that is pretty thick it used to be pine trees the pine trees all died and it's just multiflora rows and just thick nasty and then just over this little saddle is kind of this cove that's kind of um broke from the wind as well on the neighboring property and there's a gas line that separates the two property i'm like well i'm gonna hunt this kind of transition area in between those two bedding areas there's a bunch of scrapes in there and uh you know i'm i'm hopefully he'll be out of the wind and he's in one of those two bedding areas and I'll try to catch him going from one to the other, you know, looking, checking out some does or running that scrape line. And, uh, I got in and I was in stand about an hour and, uh, four 30 in the evening. I just kind of glanced up. So (laughs) this is probably the most like hillbilly ass setup that I've ever had, but the, where I wanted to hunt, there there's not a lot of trees it's an old like locust grove just nasty there's not a lot of trees big enough to climb but the previous landowner built this permanent stand with like metal tin like walls on it years and years ago (laughs) with a an extension ladder to get up in it you know that type of thing (laughs) and uh so I knew it was there and that's, I was like, that spot is actually where I kind of need to be. So <laughs> I ended up taking a climber in and that stand was so rickety. It. I attached my climber to one of the trees cause I didn't trust standing on the, the platform to that stand. <laughs> and, uh, I actually was inside that, that dumpy permanent stand that was built there in a climbing stand. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's great. And, uh, so I'm, I'm sitting there and I just glance up and, you know, at 4.30 in the evening, the sun was just kind of straight over the ridge, and all I saw was antlers coming across the uh, the gas line, and I immediately just knew it was him. He was probably 70 yards from me, and he was kind of quartering to, and he was just walking across the gas line, and he goes behind this pine tree, and he stops. And I could I saw his legs, and then he just stopped, and he stood there for like probably three minutes i don't know if he was just kind of surveying the you know he kind of topped over the ridge i think he was just kind of surveying the area before he committed and uh you know i I wasn't even excited yet i didn't know where he was going i was like oh i'll I'll start my tacticam i hit tacticam a dumb battery on my tacticam was dead (laughs) (laughs) of course nice the one time i remember to hit the button i uh my battery was dead and uh finally he, he started walking again and he ducks his head down and he goes under that pine tree and just on the other side of that pine tree was a big scrape and uh, he walks up there checks the scrape and he's raking it cleaning it out and all i could see was like from basically his jawbone up and you know and he's just you know working the licking branch and screwing around there and uh, i'm like okay from that scrape he had four trails that he could take three of them brought him by me with within 30 yards um, and then the one that kind of skirted the ridge is, it was a longer poke. And, uh, he, uh, he kind of put his head down and I couldn't see him. And then I see him, he's got his head to the ground, just smelling the ground, like smelling, taking a step, smelling, taking a step. And, uh, 
I drew back on him at one point thinking he was, he was going to make a left around the multiple rows and come on the 30 yard trail. And then he turned and started going back up the hill and I let down on him and he kind of just stood there sniffing, I took a few more steps. And then I am like, okay, he's going to commit to that tall, that, that furthest trail. And if he does that, I only got about a, another 10 yards before I can shoot him. So he takes another step and kind of, he's in the open and, uh, I drew back on him and, uh, ranged him is 52 yards. And I just started applying the pressure and the shot broke and it felt great. You know, when it kind of startles you and you're like, Oh shit, it just shot. And you're, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but when it happens, you're like, oh, God, I didn't want it to go off. You know? Oh, no, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm new. And uh, the, the hardest part was the, the setting sun was directly over his back. And I'm actually, from where I was at, he was above me on the ridge, and I'm shooting straight into the sun. You're getting John so Wayne. So picking, a, picking <laughs> yeah. a spot was pretty freaking difficult. And... Uh, but when the shot broke, lighted knock went flying. It was 52 yards, so you had plenty of time to watch the knock fly. And it made that wallop noise, and he let out this, you know, and, and it, you hear that, you know you just let the wind out of him, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and he just, like, face-planted into the hillside, and he's bulldozing, trying to get up on his feet. He gets up on his feet and went barreling back across the uh, – the gas line right away and i could just see blood spraying and he just gets to the other side of the gas line right away i see treetop shake and it went dead silent and i'm like did he just fall right there he long and sure as shit that's that's as far as he went he went 25 yards that's what and, you call uh, laying it on him man yeah. when you hit him that hard yeah. and when he they, he they talk to you at the shot it's like yeah. a little normal when they talk to yeah. you yeah. <laughs> he spoke back to it you and then he can't put noise. his yeah like he dry heat for a second <laughs> yeah well he yeah. spoke to you and 100%. then he just can't get his shit together from there on out oh, yeah. until he died you know that's that's putting it on him man was it a heart shot yeah. or what it uh i so it went in between he was quartering away and uh, it went in between the uh, last and second to last rib and buried in the offside shoulder. So it was double lung, and I cut all the arteries off the top of the heart. Oh, Just cleaned shit. him out. Yeah. 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 So he, uh, he had nothing. As Ross would say, <laughs> he was, he's fucked. You are so fucked. You are You're so, so fucked. fucked. <laughs> yeah. he, he was running on empty, that's for sure. That's awesome, awesome man. Dude. And he was a stud, so too. A, yeah, he, he surprised me. Like, that was one of the few deer I've killed – and in a lot of years, maybe I, honestly the the only deer I've ever killed in 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 my life that I walked up on and I'm like, oh shit, you know, he, I knew he had all the character and the kickers and the and the trash and shit, but I didn't really realize he had the the mass. His body was gigantic. His neck was enormous, and uh, he actually had the the ground growth on me. And uh, he, he ended time. up being yep. about 12 inches bigger than I. I expected him to go like 148, and he ended up going 159 and 7 eighths. So, that's, yeah, that's awesome, man. And he, had the, yeah. he had the mass on the bases. He had the mass all the way out to the main beam and everything. He was well, yeah, just a beautiful what, deer. The, where, he, where he really gained it was his brow started almost at the pedicle. So that gave him almost six inch bases, uh-huh. and then he carried that out. And that also, because his brows started that low, that gave him an extra inch on his brows that yep. I wasn't anticipating. Um, you know, and then the same thing with his his uh, twos. You know, his mass carried, and and e- pretty much every measurement was just slightly bigger than what I was expecting. You know, he had uh, up three mass 
three mass measurements over five inches. Um, he ended up with like 38 and a half inches of mass, that's which a, is pretty solid. That's a massive deer. Um, Hell yeah. What'd you get, so Dam- got, Damien? What'd you get on that uh, that left flyer? What, what what'd that measure? Um, that was two and a half. Two and a half. That's a pretty good off, little sticker off his there. Two. Yep. Yeah, that's kick ass, yep. man. That's awesome. What a it's killer season, man! Two badass shots on two deer, yeah. like not chip shots by any means. This no. is a season you'll never forget for sure. Yeah, the, honestly, the last two seasons. I I mean, last year was the same thing. You know, last year I killed. Uh, you know, a, a seven and a half inch, 145 inch eight point buck. I shot, um, you know, a 280 inch elk in New Mexico. I killed a bear in West Virginia, you know. So this year I killed, uh, a mule deer in Nebraska, a bear in West Virginia, whitetail in Ohio, took my buddy and did a DIY in New Mexico and he shot a 316 inch bull elk. Ooh, so, damn. I mean, the, the, the last two seasons, you know, have been, Absolutely. I don't know what I've done to deserve it or whose ass I've kissed or whatever, but <laughs> just good clean living, man. That ass. Just man. good clean living. It's making that kick ass yeah, barbecue yeah, right. and making everybody happy. That's yeah, what it that's is. Right. Right. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a barbecue. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been pretty amazing. Good for you, man. That's so awesome. Yeah, congratulations, yeah, congrats, man. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, I uh when I landed that farm in Carroll and I actually messaged Clint and I was like, Hey, uh, Cause he's, that's his, that's his area. You know, he grew up there and yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, there's a lot of big deer come from that area, obviously, but there's pockets, you know, hot pockets in every, every place you go. And yeah. I messaged him and told him, I said, Hey, uh, I love hot what do you know about this area? What do you, how you feel about this area? He's like, fantastic. That's, I do a lot of hunting out there. And I was like, perfect. That's all you so, need to know. From Clint. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So the, uh, the later, the more, into november we got um the more impressed i was with that property and uh especially the age structure i haven't seen any absolute giants but several really nice bucks have shown up um on camera and uh you know pretty, hopefully i can hang on to this place for more than just one year are those, are those, are those some of the pictures you've been sending me yeah yeah, yeah the, he's got a couple really really impressive deer that next mm-hmm. year are going to be slobs that's awesome, dude. Something to look forward to always makes it feel good. But Damien, I, I think all of us can relate to that. Uh, what you're saying to a point, like putting your heart and soul in a property, then losing it and have to pick something yeah. else up. Like that's been the story of my entire, my entire life of hunting. You know, so I'm sure. trying to, trying to get a lease here, so something I can like put 20 years of investment into, but it'll also keep these other small pieces that I can um, keep tabs on. But that's hard to do. It's it, this is quickly turning into a rich man's sport if you want to hunt where there's big deer because you know there's only so much public there's so many people on it nowadays especially with this like new surge of internet public land hunters which is great but also makes it difficult um so it's just hard to keep a good piece where you can put time and and money into unless you can afford to buy your own piece well and like damien said too like it's not you don't have these big tracks anymore that these families own they sold everything off so it's these tiny little tracks that all these people own anymore you just gotta have good neighbors that work together on the same type of plan (laughs) right and yeah, um, that's and, you know, and the the difference the, the other bad part about it is is once you start killing deer, and people not saying you're, you're famous by any means, but people start taking notice to who's killing deer on a routine, and then yep. they automatically assume it's because it's the property that you're hunting, and then they start weaseling in on where you're hunting and trying to get in around where you're hunting or or whatever the case may be when. 
it it has some to do with the land but if you look at everybody that you know kills big deer year in and year out it's one common denominator is they work harder than everybody else i and love when, that you just when said you're, that. when your life revolves around killing deer and finding big deer like if you know everybody woe is me woe is me it must be nice to have a nice you know ground like that private ground well you know what get off your lazy ass and go find some ground i've lost two farms i find ground if that ground doesn't produce what i'm looking for i go find more ground i don't sit and just sulk and cry over my spilled milk and oh woe is me you know (laughs) i might make enemy saying this but the, it's plain and simple. If you don't have ground, go find it. Yep. If you don't have big bucks where you're hunting, go find more ground, period. Well, there's a difference between the people like you and myself, Austin, Ross, you know, whoever that kills big deer r- routinely, they bust their ass and their life revolves around finding big deer. Mm-hmm. Yep. You don't just hey. – you don't just – Trip into a 150. Well, the thing, you know, too, I had some, and not that I'm, I consider myself a pretty good big buck killer, but I like to surround myself with monster killers, you know, like yourself and, and basically everybody else at the podcast table. Um, you know, I had somebody say to me the same thing. I had to say the same thing you just said to a couple dudes that are other good dudes, but I just don't, I think they're fairly green to when it comes to big buck killing. It was like, man, you just must have good ground. I'm like, hold on, motherfucker. Like, I, I get that. Maybe I do, but it takes. How did you get that? Yeah, you well, that's that's ingredient that number one. You have to hunt where the big deer are, but you have to be smart enough and motivated enough yep. to get where the big deer. That's are. That's why I went right. back. Idiots don't yes. kill big deer. They might get lucky. Consistently is yep. the key. And the thing and is, it's weekends, like th- those weekends when they're going out ATV riding yep. and you're planning food plots, yep. or they're going out to the bar getting shit faced, and you're prepping for season that's the things that set people apart and you know those are the things that you know if if you don't go atv riding and you go door knocking trying to find more land why everyone else is out land you know atv riding you're going to find land but people don't do that they want to they want to take the easy route and just you know 100 percent well that too and it's like i i broke it down for uh these guys i had that conversation with them because they hunt they don't realize it it's this guy and his buddy they hunt some of the best ground in the county that we live in, and I'm like, dude, I know about the ground you hunt. Like, if I had a whole season there, yeah, just I'd, give me one season. In I'd there. kill the biggest buck of my life there because I would put more time in than you. Absolutely. And, and I'm like, you know, yes. you want to say it's my ground? I bounce every two years. I'm looking for something new. I got seven Pope and I got Pope and Youngs in six or seven different counties in Illinois, yep. and that's not by accident. I didn't get lucky on. A drunken weekend when I went out for two hours in the afternoon because I slept in and but you always tripped into one. You always run into people at the gas station, Damien. You'll you'll understand this too. But you go to the gas station and all of a sudden people are like, "Wow, you! I heard you killed a big buck. Um, there must be a lot of big bucks out there." And I say, "Nope, it was just the one." Been hunting for a lot yep. of years, <laughs> and then another you know, one. It, a guy, it's, it's so like, a guy says, "Well, well." Uh, he asked another buddy of mine. He's like, "Hey, uh, that's a nice deer that your buddy killed there." He goes, "What? What? Uh, we're." Where'd he shoot him at? He goes, well, I'm not for sure, but I'd guess right behind the shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I love? It's like, well, I'm going to go hunt where he hunt because he shot this buck there. I'm like, yo, dude, that deer's dead. Yeah, you're hunting a ghost. You you can't yeah. Yeah, you can't kill a ghost and mount it. You can go in there and look at the gut pile if you want to. Go ahead, Damien. Where I killed my buck this year, that that landowner has owned that property for 20-plus years, and 
I killed the largest buck on that property. I've hunted it for a month, and I killed the largest buck that has ever been killed off that property in 20-something years and the largest buck they've ever seen out there. And, it, you know, that's not saying that I'm a better hunter. It's just I worked harder for it. Put the work period. in, man. Exactly. For sure. Yeah, you don't. You didn't just get talented by chance to kill it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're knowledgeable and right. you know, all that. And I had something similar. And the buck I shot on this property is like a 30-acre track of timber um, I got permission on. It gets you got to get all your buck killing in before shotgun season because it's worse than public. It's a 30-acre piece, and there are seven trucks parked out there the first day of firearm <laughs> season. No, no bullshit. And... My dad and I killed bucks on there, and the buck I killed was a 138-inch eight-pointer. And I called the guy who owns the ground real close to my family, and he comes out and goes, dude, you're the first person to kill a buck like that out here in 30 years oh, with shit. a bow, with a bow. And the next year, there's so many people on it, we could, I, I gave up on it. I couldn't even hunt yeah. it. There's so many people on there. And it was a high 30s eight-pointer, you know, like right. not a giant. Great deer. That's right. why I lost all Great my ground, and I, that was the place I had to hunt. So I put my time in and killed that deer, whatever. That's, but That's a little bit what I'm worried about on this property because the guy's son kind of hunts a little bit. And, you know, I, I'm like, okay, now he knows I killed that buck out there. Next year he's going to – he gun hunts, right? He's never yeah. bow hunted. And I'm like, next year he's going to go to Walmart and buy a, a crossbow. And, uh, you know, he's going to ride, he's going to wait till I, uh, plant a food plot and put all this work in and then he's going to start showing up to hunt. You know, I have some advice, maybe just divert him, you know, get him a good buck and get it, get him one early and then you don't have to worry about him. Yeah. Get him taken care of. Pull your October moon phase on him. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) But seriously, I mean, seriously though, that's, that's anytime you shoot a big buck and you got neighbors, that's the first thing you get scared about. I mean, I think I ended my last podcast with holy smokes. I, I'd rather just lay low and not get any attention on this because this is, yeah, this just puts more pressure on you. You can't go out and enjoy shooting, hunting these big bucks. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to have Damien on and Clint on like we do all the time. And uh, we'll get you on a lot more, Damien. And then all the attention will be at Ohio. Yeah, everybody yeah, will be selling. They'll be right. selling their they'll Illinois like, pieces yeah. for cheap. All oh, the deer are running east. Last weekend when we were hunting Kurt's farm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, some shit like that'll be going down. So yeah, Ohio, baby, it's the the new number one. Fuck yes, Iowa. Man. Fuck Illinois. Yeah, nothing in Iowa. Keep moving. Yep. It's like checkers. Everybody skips over Indiana. There we are, right when we click Casper territory. <laughs> Fucked up. State. Where'd you shoot this deer at? Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Ross's 202. Ohio. Ohio. Well, it looks like an Iowa take to me. Not, nope. No, not so when, when I was in the Army, when I was in the Army, we kind of did that. You would, uh, we hunted Fort Bragg, and people down there, even 20 years ago, they didn't, they, you know, they would, they would, uh, steal your spot in a heartbeat and they you know you would there's like three of us me and two other buddies that would consistently kill deer and then people would go over to the sign out sheet and they would they would see where we were signed out and then the next thing you know you'd go in to hunt your spot and the the sign out sheet was full like everybody was flocking to that so we ended it was totally illegal what we were doing back then but we would sign out for different areas and say we were in different areas and when we would kill deer we were like yeah we were over in uh uh, Zabatoski area and, and uh, Z1, you know, and then people, those areas that go flocking and we go hunt over. We got in trouble That's for it. Strategy, but, buddy. You know, you, you couldn't, and you couldn't even lie about it. 
because you had to sign out for the area that you were going to. So we'd park our trucks and people would drive the roads looking for where your trucks are parked in those areas. So then they'd be like, okay, where's he signed out? Oh, he signed out for Z1. And then they'd just go ri- ride the fire brakes looking for where your truck's parked. And then the next thing you know, you got 10 trucks parked where you, uh, your truck was parked. And <laughs> Jeez, so we, ended up, man. we ended up lying about where we were hunting and, you know, it's just uh, gotta do what you gotta do. It is what it is. It is what it is. I don't know what the limit of stat, uh, statute of limitations is on that. So maybe the uh, <laughs> Uncle Sam will be coming back on me for telling that story. But hey, I think uh, <laughs> we talked about this a couple days ago. I said, I was just get ready to bring that up. Yeah, Austin. I said once you get to a certain level, you have to play people almost more than you do the deer. Like when we, you're hunting, you're you're concerned more with what the people are doing than what the deer are doing. We talked about my turning yeah. point of like. Going from like I'm a consistent butt butt killer now, so now I'm like, we're talking about me getting over the hump a little bit of like giants, I guess. I don't know, if the, I don't know what the term there isn't a term, but that's what you talked about. You know, it's you're <clears throat> you got to learn how to hunt around people, even on private. Yeah, when you, yeah. When you have to share farms with people, you almost have to give them information or keep information away yeah. from them it's kind of a shitty thing to do but when you're in there hunting you almost have to play the people as much as you do the deer yeah yeah you can't you can't you have to do climbing stands or, or hanging bangs or whatever you want to call them and because if you put stands up and they find your stands next thing you know they're 20 yeah. yards away from your stand well you weren't here i was gonna hunt my stand you yep. know that sort of thing so <clears throat> i'm fortunate it, that uh, i do hunt with some good people right now i don't hunt with a lot of guys but a couple guys that are, are real good dudes and i want to see them get deer you know but well, and that's oh. the only bad thing about like having the sticker in my back window because I'm local to my area. I grew up there. I'm taking mine off. And uh, like, <laughs> I am, dude. You know, someone drives by every time they see my vehicle and they know, okay, Eric's hunt right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's true. Yep, yep. For I sure learned that. I learned that. You know, again, my age. I learned that probably 15 years ago. You know, you used to have the logos and stickers in your windows, and people learn what your truck is. And I'm like, nope, I'm just going to fly incognito and. And uh, yep. people don't need to know where I'm at. I'm just going to buy a new beater every year. That's what I'm saying, dude. There I'm going to go. buy an old Subaru Outback and put a Coexist sticker <laughs> and, a, and a sparkly peace sign bumper sticker on the son of a bitch. And <laughs> like a, a furry uh, steering wheel cover. Yeah. Tint the windows out so you can't see what's <laughs> there's in there. Some, there's some really nice bird watching uh, member club stickers. Yeah. You there you go. I think yeah. you need a bird watcher sticker on your. I'm going to get a big bumper sticker that says Cowboys Butts Drive Me Nuts. <laughs> there, you there you go. And then a <laughs> big <laughs> rainbow you, over the top. You would. Nobody would know. <laughs> no, that apple core, you want that? <laughs> yeah. Save a deer, ride a cowboy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not that's a, a That's a new shirt idea. <laughs> I, I think guess. we just got a new shirt. They're like, yeah, that's funny, but we're not buying it. <laughs> I'm not wearing that. <laughs> we'll spend all the money to get it made. I bet you a bunch of the BHA members would buy it. Oh, there are people that buy it for sure. <laughs> just kidding. E- easy, guys. Easy. easy. Hey, just joking. Hey, hey. I thought we were having a good Hey, in that rev limiter dropping the f bombs and faggots, the one I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, there oh, it is. Hey, 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 there there it is. We're having a good time. We're having a good time. Just kidding around. God damn it! That's one of those words you can't say anymore. Ten years ago, you could. But it's funny. You know, what? Maybe not. I think it's funny. Sorry, um, Damien. Thank you so much, man. It's been a good time. Congratulations on oh, your yeah. season. Yeah, congrats, congrats man. That's awesome. Buddy. Hell of a season, Appreciate dude. It, hey, thanks for carrying our team yeah. through. We needed that 160. 
Hey man, we're in third place out of 500 teams. That's not, pretty impressive. God, yeah, third. not bad for let's, let's, not bad for me limping in with a longbow. Let's talk about this a right. little bit real quick before we close out because in the team working class group, we talked about. Well, I didn't even like see him initially. I didn't see this post initially about doing teams. I don't think I did anyway. But then Cole Young was talking about it, and it got brought up once Cole killed his giant, and and then Ross killed his giant. I'm like, what the? What is this? That's why I asked what everyone team teams yeah, name. So there's were. a there's a bow hunting league competition going on, and uh, Clay invited me to do it. I I honestly didn't even consider it because i was going to hunt with the longbow this year but uh so damien clay and myself are on a team and basically there's unlimited upgrades you take your biggest deer each of the three guys take their biggest deer and the total number of inches that's greatest is in the lead oh um, you, you got to take your biggest deer it's not yeah, amount yeah, of deer yeah like so my first deer was 138 and then i killed a 146 so my 146 gets used gotcha yeah okay and then and so cole and landon and Dana are Dana. all on a team. So when Dana goes out there and smashes a one sixty plus, <laughs> I mean it's it's all over with. They're gonna they're gonna leave. Yeah. But mule uh, mule deer is negative twenty. So if you because kill they're a little larger, ain't that yep. some shit? Ain't I that some shit? Hundred sixty inch mule deer. It's only a one forty. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, I, I think exactly. the longbow kill should add twenty personally. I think I think, should, I think should, there should be a yeah, stipulation there if they're gonna take points off for a mule deer. Uh, yeah. Uh, traditional equipment should add points. Absolutely. Well, then maybe we'll figure something out with the team. Um, that's what I, we should do. Do like a team competition and break it into yeah. like three man teams for next year. That'd be fun. That'd be cool. I see so many like between Instagram messages and Facebook notifications. Like there's just certain shit I yeah. don't. I don't. I missed see. it also. Yep. You know, so I didn't see it till Ross I commented it on it somehow. But what? anyway, so you commented on it not that long ago. So there's two working class yeah. teams up in the mix right okay. now. Out of 500 oh, some teams, I think Cole's team. We all know Dana is probably going to end up smashing a giant. Yeah. So when he Dana, does, Dana pressure's on him. Solid. It's it's going to be. They're going to lock it up. He's got lots they, of The couple lot. teams, the the teams that are ahead of us, are I think one guy killed like a 200, and then the other two guys killed like 120s. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh no shit. So yep. that helps. yeah. It, so it's Boy, they're, they're been really fun. lopsided. I would say our team has killed the three nicest deer yep um you know with a, a 160 and what was yours austin my, my big was 146 and clay's was a 144 so, so uh three solid got deer three but, solid deer yep very cool well damn that's something cool to do yeah i i completely like slept on that post that got sent out i don't know what the hell but but it's pretty cool it's cool you guys are it's badass killing it but we're repping man but damien anything you want to shout out man before we close it out no we're good man i've Yacked my mouth off uh, pretty good there for the last hour or so. You did so. good, man. <laughs> well, that was good. I get, well, before we close I get it out. and rambling on. It, uh, sometimes I, I feel like I talk too much. So. It's easy to talk deer hunt, brother. You killed it, though. You, yeah, you, that's true. Go ahead, Eric. Also, before we close it out, you had two badass seasons the last two seasons. What do you got in store for us next season? Ooh. I'm really hoping to go back to New Mexico. I didn't draw this year. Um, that I, Honest to God, like if I could, if I could elk hunt, the month of September every year in New Mexico, I would never kill another whitetail and be perfectly okay with it. Damn. That's a bold statement. There is nothing greater in my eyes. I've never experienced the only animal I've ever killed my first of that had brought me to tears, which was a raghorn shitty little four by four was an elk. And the, the emotions that, that run through you, when you kill an elk and the work that you put in to kill one, there's just nothing greater than in my eyes. And maybe it's because I'm biased and I've killed a bunch of whitetails. Maybe if I didn't have but one whitetail on the wall, I would say that. But 
their elk are just absolutely amazing and new mexico is freaking amazing when you can go out you know i hear horror stories of guys going elk hunting and they're, they they heard an elk but never saw an elk me and when i go to new mexico i see 300 inch elk every single day you know you don't get a chance to kill every one every day but you're in the mix you're in the shuffle and there is nothing greater than that so good man i'm glad to hear you say that that's cool. that's cool well, cool, man. Well, hopefully you draw a tag New Mexico. That's one that's on my radar as well. Clint Casper's killed a big bull in New Mexico, and that's uh, something I always thought about. Sounds like I need so, to go to New Mexico. These guys are killing bulls. We got, we got to do that. What are we doing, guys? Yeah, we got to go. We have to do that. I'm giving up. I'm telling you. It, and it's a straight lottery, so like, you, you, there's no preference points. It's like straight shit pot luck. That's yeah. nice. And if you draw, it's fantastic, but you could put in – you know, like even even as a Reddit resident, you know that some of them guys put in for six, seven years, never draw, and then they'll draw three years in a row, huh. or you know Dude. because they it's just the shit pot luck, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know we put in in uh, when was it nineteen, and uh, we both drew, my buddy and I both drew. Can you put it in as a party? And then uh, we did because when I did it, like I I put in and. Um, so I, I decided I was going to, if you use an outfitter, you increase your odds, your percentage odds by like double because they take 10% of the tags and put them in an outfitter pool. And as a non-resident, if you just put in as a non-resident, you have like a 10, uh, a 2% chance of drawing, uh, depending on the unit that you pick and everything. So if you use an outfitter, you get a, a bigger, bigger odds of drawing. It's still small, but you more than double your odds of drawing. Hmm. And I put in with the guy, and then my buddy said, dude, that's my dream hunt. I want to do that. And I'm like, well, we can put in as a party hunt. And I thought at that time, I didn't understand it. I thought if one of the group got drawn, you both automatically got drawn. Well, that's kind of the case unless there's one tag left in the unit you're applying for, and they pull your application (laughs) out, and you're a party tag. They pitch your shit. So so you, you can screw yourself if you do the party tag thing. Uh, we didn't do party tag last year, and, and he got a tag, you know, and I didn't. And I'm like, well, I'm going back. So we just did DIY and uh, and got in, you know, we kind of learned the unit the year before, and we got in the mix, and he shot a whopper. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 awesome. Like, I, there's nothing like it. I could talk and talk and talk about elk hunting, and, like, I'm some expert at it. And, you know, I've, I've honestly, I've gone three times in my life, but... I've, I've killed three. Well, yeah, well, I, tell you, I, I tell you, I tell you what, man. I, doing honestly, something right on Instagram. You're an expert. I tell you what, man. Honestly, if you, <laughs> you know shit. Yeah. If I was a bow hunter in uh, Illinois or Iowa, and I really wanted to up my game, I think I'd start putting in. I'd start going to uh, Ohio. Uh, yeah, Ohio hunt, and then and I'd go to New Mexico and shoot a elk. For I heard Ohio's right, yeah. got good elk. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I heard. I, my buddy I, David. I would, there's, a, there's a high fence preserve down in uh, Guernsey County that uh, you could uh, kill some whopper. I mean, the there. next level yeah, is Hocking Hill State Ohio. Park. There's a bunch of elk there. Go <laughs> hunt that. It's Ohio, it's New Mexico. Reserve. I mean, you can't. Don't, and, don't and be in mistaken. Illinois. Just go cut the fence. Ohio, you mean, David. Uh, Ohio and New Mexico. Yep. Definitely. But to get to Ohio, you got to stop in Illinois. Get Casey's Pizza. Then well, just to keep grab moving. the pizza. Yeah. Get gas and keep <laughs> moving. Get your ass down the road. <laughs> Beat feet, motherfucker. <laughs> Ohio! <laughs> They're so friendly there. All right, man. We appreciate you, dude. This podcast has been killer. You are a 
you're a killer, dude. You got to be one of the top whitetail killers in the country. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely, I doubt that. But well, I mean, you're on fire, David. Percentages, bro. Percentages. All right, percentages. percentages. Thanks everyone for tuning in. You know what to do. Go shoot your bow. We love you. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.